sponsored by the Facial Paralysis and Bell's Palsy Foundation and by Rise Physical Therapy. This is Unique Smiles, the Facial Paralysis Podcast, and I'm your host, Brian April. So today on the podcast, uh, joined by uh, Jane Maddock. She has facial paralysis from a result of a surgery, and uh, I've known Jane for a few years now. Jane, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. And I guess let's start by having you tell a little bit of your story. Okay. Well, back in 2010 is when it started for me. I started having very slight throbbing on the right side of my temple and it was inconsistent. It might be once or twice a day and then not happen for two, three days. And that went on for a while, months. And I was the type that didn't get sick. I didn't get headaches. I was just like, what's this? And then it started to get a little bit of a sharp shooting pain. But like, you know, when something hurts, you usually touch your hand to it and go out. But by the time my hand got to my forehead, it already was gone. So this went on for a few months, and finally I said, okay, something's not right, and I went to my primary doctor. And she wrote it up, and at the time my husband was in the military, so we had this specific insurance called TRICARE, and they thought that doing a whole MRI or whatever test they were suggesting was not worth it to do, check it out for a little throbbing. So they said no. And I kind of told myself, if they're not worried about it, I guess I shouldn't be. So months go on, and it starts to happen a little more often. And I go back to her, and she refers me to an ENT, ears, nose, throat doctor. And he takes blood work, and he comes back. He says, you know, everything's fine. He goes, you know, maybe don't chew so much gum, like they're having a, you know, jaw situation. And I'm thinking, I don't chew that much gum, and you you know, maybe you're a little bit on a quack. But I left thinking, okay. And then as it went on, you know, about a month or so later, it's starting to get more often. And I actually went to a KISS concert and it was so loud and pounding that it, I don't know, it seemed to explode that night where it just was just nonstop pounding. So I called the ears, nose, throat doctor back and said, um, I'm not chewing gum and just something's not right. He sent me to a neurosurgeon, and he also said to me, well, we can do an MRI, and his comment was, it's probably overkill, but because he's a specialist, the insurance approved it. Now, in, during that time in my life, my husband was an um, active duty Navy um, chief, and we were about to get transferred to Sudebay Creek, Greece. We had already shipped my car, some furniture, clothing, and he was going to go ahead for about a month and get everything set up, and I was going to fly in. And the neurologist uh, called me up, and he said, we have the results. And um, he said that you have a tumor about the size of a peach in your head. And, um, it, you know, everything stopped. Uh, wasn't going to Greece. Fortunately, the Navy, you know, accommodated my husband and uh, stopped his orders. And 10, not 10 days later, I was up at uh, UCLA Hospital having 10-hour brain surgery. They said that most likely it was either a meningioma or schwannoma, and both of them tend not to be cancerous. But it was so big, it was pushing on things. They were actually shocked I didn't have some type of facial paralysis showing up. 
so we went in there and I, uh, I woke up and I had immediate paralysis. The entire right side of my face from the top of my forehead down to my throat was completely paralyzed. Now they told my family they did not cut the nerve. So even though it was scary, um, my attitude was, okay, well, let's, it's going to heal. They, they told me they didn't cut the nerve, so I just have to kind of deal with this until it comes back. And I threw myself into, I found a therapist because I did need to talk through it. I went to acupuncture. I went to a physical therapist that would, you know, um, push on my brain. And, and they even tried electrical stimulation, which I was told after the fact is not necessarily the best thing for me. And after a full year, um, nothing had changed at all. And at that point, it was very clear that I had permanent you know, facial paralysis. Let me, uh, let me uh, stop you right there real quick. I just, I just have to say this because I hear it over and over with, with all of these stories, the, the amount of negligence or incompetence or lack of knowledge that the medical profession seems to have towards any of this. The fact that, you know, for me, it was dismissed as TMJ and then it was just cluster headaches and uh, there are so many other people that have the same thing. Like, oh, you're fine, you're fine, you're fine. And then, you know, soon all of a sudden it's, oh, you have this, you know, you have this tumor or you have this other problem. And it's just, it's baffling to me that there can be so little, you know, effort put into in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Anyway, just my little rant. Sorry. No, absolutely. I mean, this went on technically if you spread it all out almost a year with no treatment. Now, unfortunately, they can't tell me what caused this. I mean, did I go in a couple of tanning beds and lay out at the beach or, you know, put my cell phone up to my ear? I mean, they'll never know. They'll never know how long it was there, what caused it. Um, they didn't know for sure if it was cancerous until they actually went in there and then, you know, took a piece of it to the lab. And I was graced with the fact that it was non-cancerous. The plan was to go in and take the bulk of the tumor out and leave just the thinnest sheet of it because it was touching my nerve and so that I would not wake up and have paralysis. So they did leave some tumor up there and I woke up and I still was paralyzed. I, I remember um, I, my friends kind of thought it was funny because when I had a positive attitude and uh, when the doctor said you have a brain tumor, the first question out of my mind honestly, it was not, oh my gosh, am I going to die? It was like, you have to cut my hair? <laughs> and I was like, okay, no, 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 you, you need to, you know, just take the minimal amount and, you know, don't cheat the whole side of the head. We'll just get a little bit of the cornrow going there. And, and uh, they did it too, but um, that was my big thing. It's like, you know, it was, it was all about vanity. I wasn't really worried about, you know, am I going to die? Maybe because they kept saying, these tend not to be cancerous, but it definitely was a scary thing. I knew it was going to be a 10 hour brain surgery. So that's a long time to be under. But as I said, I, my plan was get this thing out of me. It was interesting because once they told me I had a brain tumor prior to my knowledge and I'd get some throbbing or sharp shooting pain, it was like, that's annoying kind of thing. Cause it wasn't really that bad, but it just was like, this isn't normal. And then they told me I had a tumor, and every time then, before I had the surgery, it, I would feel it throb or, you know, 
or giving me that little shock of pain, then it was like, oh my gosh, get this thing out of me. And um, I just, my attitude was, let's get in, get it out, and let me get on with my life. And, and leave my hair alone. Not, and leave my hair alone. <laughs> and, and that's not what I woke up to. And you said so, that after a year that you just kind of realized that you have permanent facial paralysis. Right. Well, they kind of told me if I don't see any signs of anything, that's a pretty good indicator that it's, it's not going to come back and it's permanent. I had met with a amazing doctor, Dr. Babaka Zizadeh, who's in Beverly Hills, prior to that year, just for a consultation. And um, he knew that I was really, you know, I really wanted it to come back naturally. And he was very patient with me, very kind. His staff was amazing. He said, well, okay, you know, we're at the seven-month mark. Let's, let's wait. And, you know, I came back, and a year later, uh, nothing had changed. And I had a, you know, period of time of I need to do something um, or it could, you know, stay completely permanently paralyzed. So the option, and I know that there's a few different plans because everybody has a little bit, you know, a little work here and there with their, their issues, whether it's palsy or an accident, mine was nerve damage. Um, there's those that have, you know, uh, paralysis from birth. And um, he said that, and I am not a medical uh, clinician, so excuse me with my terminology, but he shared with me they would take nerve from my right ankle and put it up on my the left side of my face, which was the healthy side, and go behind my ear, and they would tie the nerve to another nerve in my face and pull it across, and this was all underneath, you don't see it, and like an extension cord. And they had to wait nine months for that to bond and heal. Then they went in and took some, opened up my left thigh and took some muscle from that, and then they opened up the bad side, the right side behind the ear. Again, you don't see any scars. And they put the muscle in and then attached the nerve to the muscle where um, it was able, I am now able to make movement. I don't, I will never be able to have my big, huge, smiley, pearly white teeth showing, but I can absolutely give a soft smile that looks symmetrical and it has made a, a complete difference for me. I also had two other surgeries, and that was with my right eye. They um, first put in a little gold weight in my eyelid, which seemed really kind of crazy that something could fit in there, but it does, and it helps to have my eye lower a little bit because imagine taking your eye and opening it, holding it open. So wind, dust, sun, I mean, so you're constantly putting drops in it. Some people have to try to tape their eye closed at night. I don't, so I'm very happy about that. And um, if it gets super sore, I'll, maybe at night I'll put a little ointment in it and uh, drops throughout the day. But um, can, you, that, can you blink? Um, I ha it's, it's mechanical. I have to think. My left eye just blinks you know right constantly and my right eye does not unless i am thinking okay it's getting a little sore and then i just kind of squeeze my muscles and you will see my eye come down in the very beginning 
it did not come down a hundred percent. You could just see the slightest part of white of my eye, but uh, through the years and maybe aging and a little extra skin up there, it seems to close all the way now. So um, I can go to sleep at night and close my eye, and I don't, you know, I don't know if my husband can see it open a little bit while I'm sleeping or not. But when I wake up, I'm not sore. So I presume, you know. It, it stayed as closed as possible. There's also tricks that you can do. You can lay on your bad eye a certain way with your pillow and kind of take your eye and then kind of, you know, scoot up into the pillow so that it's kind of like the pillow's holding it closed. And um, there's a lot of little tricks that you can do. And that that's worked for me. But um, it's, it's definitely a journey. I, for me, they had told me from the get-go, you have nerve damage and, and this is where you're at. I would have jumped on the surgery immediately. So it definitely was an emotional roller coaster that first year. Is it going to come back? They told me it's going to. I just have to wait. I have to do all these things and exercises and I dare in the mirror looking to see something. And, you know, there, there was nothing to see. So... Um, no. Was it, uh, sorry to interrupt, um, was it, full, the nerve was fully cut, was that correct? Well, they claimed it wasn't, right. but I have fully facial paralysis, so um, I will say, when I was at the hospital, UCLA is a teaching hospital, and I did ask them, and now that I think back, I can't imagine me actually wanting to watch a tape where I'm laying on a table and they're pulling, you know, drilling my, my head and pulling my face off to, to get to this. Um, but I had asked to see a copy of it, and they said, not a problem, I, especially because they said it was my brain tumor was in a odd, you know, place, and they don't see a lot of those. So they said they were going to tape it, and when I was getting ready to leave the hospital, I asked for a copy of it, and they didn't have one. So they said that the nurse forgot to hit play, and... You know, I do understand that this isn't just stitching up a little finger. This is, you know, again, they, they had to cut open my head, cut my jaw, get to the area, and the tumor is in there wrapped around, you know, Lord knows what, and to try to get it out without pulling, stretching, cutting, nipping something in such a small area is difficult. So I'm sure they tried their best and what the results were, you know, what they were. So after the initial surgery and the initial paralysis, I think for me, one of the hardest things was being told that, yes, it's going to come back and it's going to come back at, you know, at this certain amount of time. And then when that doesn't happen, that is just emotionally devastating. How was that uh, for you? How hard was that? Oh, absolutely hard. Um, I went through a, a few different uh, therapists that I'd gone and talked to, and I, you surprised yourself because, like, as I'm speaking to you now, in my own brain, it's just Jane talking, and I feel Jane, but when I walk past the mirror, that's not the Jane that I used to be. It's not the look that I used to have, and it, it took a really long time to, for me, to, you know, accept my new normal. And um, I found that if I ran into old people that I hadn't seen for years, 
um, that each time that happened, I would go through that little bit of, you know, um, uncomfortableness of, oh, they're going to see me for the first time looking different. Uh, the truth is, is after they see me, and of course, I have to explain what happened, not in detail, but this is why I look like this. I had a brain tumor and I woke up paralyzed. And they're like, oh, that's terrible. And then carry on with the conversation. So I've learned that the person that, you know, has the hardest time with this is myself, not other people. And I, I think about it, I try to think about it, how would I treat someone that I, I know or a friend or family member that just happened to them? Would I look at them and feel any differently about them? No. I mean, would I look at them and think, yes, they do look different, and that's a shame, but I wouldn't care about them or love them any less. And so I think a lot of us who go through this have to really learn to accept ourselves before other people are learning to accept us. Absolutely. One of the funny things I, that happened for me was I saw a video of myself recently before I uh, ended up with facial paralysis, and I didn't mm -hmm. recognize myself at that mm -hmm. point. It's, I've gotten so accustomed to what I look like now that I was like, who is that? And I'm like, oh, that's me. Mm -hmm. So right. I guess with that, so for someone who's just got facial paralysis and is afraid or uh, uncomfortable with maybe talking to their friends, going out in public, do you have any sort of advice or tips or tricks that might help them? Well, for me, all of my loved ones and friends, including my husband, were very supportive, so I was lucky with that. Um, but what I needed, and no one really told me where to go, was I needed a support group. And it took a minute to find it, but there's an amazing support group, and it's facialparalysisfoundation.org. And they meet maybe four times a year. They do a walkathon either in Santa Monica or Long Beach, and you just get, you meet friends. And it's interesting, when I'm in public with my mouth and how I talk, um, if you walk past me, you wouldn't look at me and say, oh, something happened to her. But it's more noticeable when I start talking because, you know, there, there still is paralysis. And um, I find that when I go to these support groups that I can just, talk, not try to, you know, slow down my conversation because in my mind, I think if I'm talking slower, my mouth looks more symmetrical. And if I laugh or smile, if I just really do a huge laugh, that's when you really can see more of the paralysis where I try to control my smile so I will soft smile. Now, when I'm with my support group, I just let it rip because I know that every pe person sitting there has experienced the same thing, going through the same thing. Some people get improvement and others don't. But there's no judgment. And I think that women for sure tend to flock to this. And I see less men. And I think, I don't know if men are kind of macho and they think they don't need it or they don't care. You know, bad uh, or sexy. I don't know. But I think that there is space out there for them, uh, that's absolutely wrong. We're getting more men in our support group, and we're all just becoming friends, and it, it does really, really help. Based on my experience, 
and I've been to, uh, I go to the same support groups that you do. It's, mm-hmm. it's a, the way there was a beauty standard, I think for most women with, you know, Cosmo magazine and TV, there's kind of an emotional standard for men. And th- I mean, thankfully that's changing over the years as, as we're, we're, you know, develop delving more into mental health and, and things like that. But mm-hmm. I think there's this appearance of macho and a guy wants to feel attractive because that's his role is to, you know, find a mate and, you know, every, every guy thinks that every woman wants to date him. And that's just kind of, it can be really hard when you, when you lose that sense of masculinity or, or what you perceive to be as masculinity. So I think that's probably why there, there are fewer men in the support groups and the whole sharing your feelings and, you know, crying and all of these things that were hammered into us older men um, when we were younger, you know, you don't cry, you don't show your emotions, you don't show weakness, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But again, thankfully, that's that's changing now. So, Well, and it should because, um, you know, you said something about, you know, the machismo of men feeling that they have to look like, you know, uh, a healthy male. It's the same thing for women. I mean, I personally think from a woman's point of view, it, it's worse because women, everything, of you know, it's based on our looks. And um, I've said this before, you know, God bless all the women that have had, you know, breast cancer and had to struggle through that. But I've actually said to myself, if I had to choose, I would have rather had breast cancer than facial paralysis because your face is what, you know, uh, the world sees. And and I'm not knocking uh, breast cancer by no means. I'm just saying for me personally, um, that would have been emotionally easier for me to deal with because at least I can hide it. You know, you can put on a bra. You can, you know, you can, there's things you can do for that. But with your face, you know, you really can't hide what's happened to you. Um, I was fortunate to have been married at the time this happened. And my husband was a huge support and would say i don't see a difference and i actually would get mad at him because there is a difference but he's saying you know my love for you has not changed for uh, men or women that this happens to when they're still single i'm sure it's intimidating to think you know who out there would find me attractive looking different and there are support groups for that as well and by the way, there are many women that were born. Uh, one of our co-founders um, for our support group was born with the paralysis. And, you know, she she's uh, had a family. She's, you know, helped run the uh, organization. And she's just amazing. And you, you do have your groups of personalities where... Some people are having a much harder time with it. Um, I think time also uh, helps because in the beginning, I literally would have full-on meltdowns in the privacy of my own home. But as time has gone on, I've learned to accept myself and to, you know, not not let it get to me. I, I was talking with a girlfriend. I have a very dear friend of many, many, many years. And normally we don't do FaceTime, but we were on computers and we were having our little girls spat. And 
And so when, you know, obviously when you're kind of arguing with somebody or going back and forth, you're talking faster, you're not really watching what you're doing. I'm saying things to her and in an escalated way. And all of a sudden my computer flipped where it showed myself talking. And it was a shock. I mean, an absolute shock to me because I'd never really seen myself aggressively talking. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks because I thought, this is what everybody else sees. Because in my mind, I don't see that. And I actually saw myself talking in an uncontrolled fashion. And it definitely was an eye-opener for me. But no, I do. I mean, it's been 10 years. I'm not young. I'm, I'm 60 years old. Dr. Bavaka Zizadeh is the uh, amazing doctor that did my reconstruction surgeries. And he does have some patients that are considering the surgery. And they're scared, and likely so. And uh, he knows that if there's any of his patients that kind of want to ask, you know, what did I go through? What was it like? Was it painful? How long was the recovery? All the questions, um, he'll always ask, his staff will ask if they'll call me each time and say, would you be willing to talk to, you know, this gal? And, um, and I always do. So I take each and every person personally that's about to, you know, trying to decide a journey. And, you know, I've asked, I've asked questions myself. Like right now, as I age, I have one side that, looks actually I look pretty good I, I I don't look like I'm 60 but the one side has my forehead has my frown lines and then the other side looks like I'm cut in half and that I'm still you know 40 years old with or even it looks 20 because I have no no you know lines on the paralyzed side so not on a regular basis I will let it go for some time but I do Botox and then when I make an expression with my eyebrows, it looks the same. Mm -hmm. So I try to stay as symmetrical as I can because it just emotionally makes me feel better. I feel I look better. And that's where I'm going well, with it, that. I, and I you have... look you know, amazing. I've seen your, your pictures. You have a, a, a book that you sometimes bring to the support group to show like before and after. And actually, mm -hmm. if people want to mm -hmm. see some of the before and afters, and read a little bit more about the story, you can go to facialparalysisfoundation.org and then go to their supports group tab and there'll be something that says stories from our group members and you'll find Jane's story right in there as well as mine too. And I still have my fat picture up, which man, I need to get that replaced. <laughs> I don't look like that anymore. So. <laughs> but uh, so I mean, sometimes... Oh, no, I was just going to say, and, and sometimes you have to uh, make fun of it. So I was driving along, and I had just gotten a, a fairly new car, and I had saved a long time for it. And I was turning right on a very busy street that had a yield sign, and there was cars coming. So as I went around the bend, I had to yield because I couldn't go. And all of a sudden, I got hit from behind. And it was a guy kind of in a little bit of a, you know, an older car. And I looked in my rearview mirror and he had a dog sitting on his lap. He had a cell phone in his hand. And we pulled over off the street into there happened to be a little parking lot there. I pulled over. He pulled in. And um, I, was, I was 
you know, I was angry because it's like this could have been avoided and this was my brand new car. And he gets out of the car and he looks at me and he goes, are you okay? And the first thing out of my, first thing in my thoughts was to say to me, oh my God, I can't move my face. And I wanted to, you know, just kind of scare him a little bit. And uh, I kept my tongue. I didn't. I said, no, I'm fine. But I, I, I wanted to because I thought, well, I might as well use this for something fun. Right. And um, uh, that would I that would have shocked him, I'm sure. Well, oh, and you God, have I just, I just paralyzed this woman. <laughs> One of the great things about you, um, from what I've learned, is you do have a, a, a great sense of humor uh, with it. And, you know, I think that's because it's it's been, you know, a few years, like you said, you start to accept who you are. And I think mm-hmm. that's really important to be able to just at least talk openly and honestly and just kind of say, like, yeah, I'm still alive, you know, I'm still here doing this. Oh, absolutely. This I, I was a foster mommy to a little girl for two years. I, I received her when she was four days old and had her till she was two. And there was a time where, you know, when she was real little, I, I can't remember, two months, three months old, and I took a million pictures of her. And um, I happened to know her grandmother. And uh, there was a picture of her that I caught that she completely, one eye was open, one was closed, and then one side of her mouth was open and the other wasn't. And again, it was just catching it at that moment. And I sent it to her grandmother and, uh, you know, she knows me well. And my caption was, maybe I shouldn't be the one teaching her how to smile. (laughs) (laughs) Because she looked, she looked very unsymmetrical, and of course her grandmother just laughed, and she said, "Oh my God, Jane, you know, why would you say that?" And I go, "Well, I'm laughing." <laughs> so, um, well, and speaking of, know, of, of pictures, how do you? Because you're a, a social butterfly, how do you deal with people always, you know, going out and taking pictures, social media, all that sort of stuff? Well, you know, I'll tell you the first time I. Uh, not the first time, but one of the times that I went out with a, a whole group of girlfriends, there was about five or six of us, and I was having a great time. I mean, I was really enjoying myself, and everyone's like, okay, let's take a group picture, and we take it, and I had it on my phone, and I get in, into the car with my one of my good friends, and I go to look at it, and I, I literally, I, I had a little meltdown. I started to cry because... I knew inside I felt so happy and um, all my girlfriends were smiling ear to ear and I looked like I was just pissed. I looked miserable. Yet I knew that that wasn't the case, but in the picture that um, was taken, that's just how I looked. And so that was that was upsetting for me. So the next time I got together with the girls, everyone saying smile, and I tried my best. And then I insisted with the whole group. I said, okay, now we're doing one for me. I don't want one single one of you to smile. Just look at the camera. And they all laughed, and they said, (laughs) okay. And so we took a second picture with all of us just looking stone cold. You know, here we are. And uh, so that was kind of fun, and they all went with it. And you make concessions. I remember when, before I had make my reconstruction surgery, if I had to walk into a room, the first thing I would do is look for a chair that had an arm on it because I would put my right arm on the chair rest and then put my, my hand up to my cheek and kind of hold it up because, you know, how funny would it look like if I'm just standing in the middle of the room holding my hand up 
to my cheek. So <laughs> I always made sure, where's the chair for me and where can I go and try to hide, you know, from this deficit as well as I can. And there's a lot of things that people don't know about. You know, the fact that my right side has paralysis, my eye doesn't blink, so I have the weight in it. If I cry, tears don't come out of my right eye. It doesn't produce tears. And um, my, my breathing is not as good on the right side as is the left because we all have muscles that go on the inside and around your nose. You don't realize any of these things, but it just it's just there. So if I kind of pull at my cheek and pull my nostril a little bit, I can breathe clearer than I can with it just being as it is. The other thing that nobody understands is that your saliva glands can be affected. And so my mouth always feels like the Sahara Desert. So you will now see me chewing gum or having a mint or drinking a lot of water. We also have to be extra careful with our teeth because you don't have the saliva, so you tend to, you know, get more cavities. I never had any problems with my teeth until all this happened and then next thing you know I'm having a lot of different issues so my dentist did say drink a lot of water because if you're not naturally you know being able to swallow a lot then flush it so that's you know a good trick for that I wanted to get back to skiing and of course going down a, a mountain uh, full speed with you know that wind going in your eyes they have special goggles they have special sunglasses that you can purchase that look you know not like goggles they're more you know sexy looking and but they they protect your eye from the wind so there's a lot of little tricks that you can do to you know help yourself physically and mask some of the issues very cool one more question i think what other advice would you have for someone who's just getting facial paralysis on maybe how do they treat themselves in the beginning and what is a, a reason maybe to, you know, continue to just pursue things in life, like to get out there and just chase? Well, you know, when it first happens, I really, I, you know, I would love to meet the person that this happens to and they go, oh, well, it's life and carry on. <laughs> uh, we, we all do that, but we all take our own time of healing and acceptance and, you know, whether it's reconstruction surgeries or not, not everyone who can have reconstruction surgery and make a difference even want it. It's like women with mastectomies. Some want a, you know, they want to have reconstruction and another one say, I'm, I'm done. This is how, you know, this is what I accept. So that's basically a personal issue, I think. But at the end of the day, you know, I'm still here. And that's, that's the first thing I hear. Well, God bless that you're still here, you know, and that's true. But you only have one life. And so you have to make, you know, what life you have the most peaceful and exciting and loving and, you know, giving back, as I said, willing to talk with others that are going through it. And, um, and some people are going to get an improvement and some people are not. And the biggest thing is learning acceptance. And again, for me, my support group, and I have a lot of friends, not a, well, enough, and they all love me and support me. So I get that from them. But personally, finding a group that looked like me, 
and I know they know what I'm feeling is is so helpful. And anyone out who's out there who's listening to this, if you don't have facial paralysis, but you know someone who does, I would definitely suggest giving them the links and giving them the contacts and you know try one meeting and i promise you you'll probably come back to many more because it really is a um a great support group with really great people i mean you have all different walks of life that come to this meeting and um it's it's a, a very soft place to fall and good people to meet and i you know, very happy I did. And Brian, who I'm talking to, I met you there. And absolutely, you know, I think we have a great connection. So absolutely. And I guess lastly, yeah. for for people who may not be in the uh, Southern California area, if you go to mm-hmm. the facialparalysisfoundation.org site, you can find out they do online uh, support groups and webinars and places where you can get some information as well. So it's a mm-hmm. really great resource to find out more information, uh, connect with people, and it's, it's just uh, wonderful. And there are also plenty of groups on Facebook and, you know, all over the Internet now. So, you know, yeah, there's, no, I, I there's no need to struggle alone anymore. No, absolutely. I, I would say that's the biggest thing. And when this first happened to me, and again, this is 10 years ago, there really wasn't anything out there. And, you know, there's thousands of people with facial paralysis, whether, again, as I said, it's Bell's palsy, um, tumors, surgeries, accidents from birth. It, it doesn't matter how you got it, but we all come together and it's like a family. And I, I can't recommend it enough. Well, Jane, thank you so much for taking some time today. I think this is really going to help some people. And uh, I always love talking with you. Looking forward to, to seeing you at the next uh, support group we end up at. And uh, I just wish, wish you nothing but the best. And thanks again for taking the time.